heading towards Schmeichel. It's come for Dwight York. Clear. Geeks with a shot. Jerry Name on the trophy. Your voice of football. If in our Football Nation Radio. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pignata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome to the Football Bosses here on FNR. My name is Michael Zapponi and I'm joined as always by Tony Pignata for another edition. Tony, looking forward to another fantastic hour. We've got some terrific guests lined up. Emma Highwood, who's the head of women's football at FFA. What a year it's been for the Australian women's game. And Andrew Durante, the captain of the Wellington Phoenix, will join us. He broke the record for games played in the Hyundai A-League last week. And what a terrific fellow he is. And uh, uh, we look forward to a great chat with him. Yeah, no, he's um, had a, gr- a great career and to break the record uh, in front of his, uh, I suppose, his, his family because um, he's a Sydney boy. And, uh, yeah, it'll be nice to have a chat to Emma as well about the uh, the World Cup bid, uh, Women's World Cup bid in 2023. And we've got the uh, W League finals coming up this week. Great news for the women's game with the federal government uh, announcing yesterday that it would uh, support a Women's World Cup bid. They're committing $4 million. I'm told that uh, there will be no shenanigans this time round that uh, Sepp Blatter's not involved anymore, so we can uh, make sure that that uh, money is well spent. And uh, they're looking at the next World Cup in 2023. The 2019 tournament uh, will be held in France. Uh, And uh, given the fact that the Matildas have been so strong recently and Sam Kerr has got such a high profile, uh, I think we're in with a really good chance on this one. Yeah, I think we're going to be up against um, Japan, who have won a World Cup. And um, I think the Kiwis might be uh, putting a bit of a bid. And... um so, yeah, we've a good chance, and it'll be great to see a World Cup at that level here in Australia. And uh, before we join uh, Andrew Durante, there was a little bit of uh, talk during the week. I think it might have been my colleague at Fox, actually, John Cosmina, talking about the, the Wellington Phoenix. He reckons they shouldn't deserve a spot. You're the former CEO of the Knicks. Should they be in the competition long term? Oh, definitely. Um, I think uh, every time Knicks have a bad performance on the field, they um, they get bashed. Um, Look, I understand they have to do more because they're they're seen as a a Kiwi team. They're not seen as Australian. But, you know, they've brought in a lot of Australian players who are playing in that league and given opportunity to Australian players to play professional. And I think they do add to the league. We need to expand the league, not reduce it. We need to get to 12 to 14. Knicks know what they have to do. Um, And, yes, their metrics aren't great, but... You can't all be flying high-flying teams like Sydney FC or Melbourne Victory to make a league. You're going to have the, you know sort of the high teams and, and the teams that are going to sort of prop it up. And uh, I think it's disappointing given the squad that the Phoenix have got that they are where they are. They they should be better, and they know they should. But you know, I'm getting really sick and tired of this um, sort of uh, Phoenix bashing. To be honest. All right, we'll talk to Andrew Durante after the break about uh, his views on on the long-term. Uh, view for the Wellington Phoenix in the competition and uh, that's coming up right after this short break here on the Football Bosses. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pignata on FNR Football Nation Radio.
Welcome back to Football Bosses here on FNR. Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata with you. And the boss of the Wellington Phoenix, Andrew Durante, joins us now. He's the captain, of course. And uh, last week broke the all-time record for games played in the Hyundai A-League. Uh, thanks for joining us, Andrew. And congratulations on what's been a fantastic career, a career that's not over yet. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, nice. Nice milestone, um, sort of chalked up uh, the other day at, at um, Sydney to be the most capped um, A League player of all time. It's something, yeah, you know, milestone stones are nice to hit, but um, you know, you kind of reflect on them more when you finish your career and look back on them than, than in the moment. Um, you know, it was a bittersweet moment. Obviously, the result wasn't great, so it, it put a real downer on it for me. But um, you know, I'm sure in five. 10 years' time, when I look back, the, the result won't have um, really affected the milestone at all. Um, congratulations, Andrew. I think it's a, it's, it's a great uh, great effort. Um, and considering, you know, the injuries you've had um, in, in year one of the uh, A-League, but, uh, you know, it's ironic you're breaking the record in your um, home home city. Um, you know, people uh, realise that you're not a Kiwi, although you play for the uh, national team um, for, for many games, but... Uh, you know, it was nice to see the support, and um, I loved at the end to um, see your um, your family there with you. And um, I think it's well deserved. And uh, you know, you've, uh, geez, how long? How many years you've been out uh, Wellington? Ten years as well. Ten years, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Oh, I guess I was. The stars aligned. I was really fortunate to for the for the um, fixture to land in Sydney. Um, so yeah, I had mum and dad there. My sister was there. Had my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and got to walk out with my nephews and, and niece so that was it was really special it all worked out really nice and FFA presentation um, before the game was was lovely and, and a nice round of applause from the Sydney FC people and um, you know the yellow fever guys that traveled over and, and uh, you know doing that banner for me was all was all really special so you know I'm really appreciative of everyone who, who made the night uh, really special for me and, and like you said it was just amazing that I was able to do it in front of uh, especially my mum and dad um, people don't realise, but you uh, did play at Sydney uh, FC for uh, for an ACL campaign, didn't you? Back in uh, was it two thousand and ten? Yeah, twenty ten, I think. Twenty ten. Yeah, 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 I played. Um, yeah, I, I remember I was on uh, I was on Mad Monday uh, at the Phoenix, and uh, I got a phone call from our football ops guy Mal Impiombardo, and he said, "Listen, you know, put your beer down and uh, get to the office. Sydney FC have um, requested you to come for the ACL." And, yeah, I spoke to Ricky Herbert at the time, and I think you were involved, Tony, as well, yeah. And um, No, I'd left and by Terry, then. Oh, you'd left? Yeah. Oh, okay, and um, and, and Terry Serapisos, and, yeah, no, I, I told him the situation, and, and they said, yeah, you can go, um, you know, good opportunity for you, and, yeah, it was awesome. I played five of the six games, um, travelled uh, different parts of Asia, so it was a really good experience for me. What a lot of people, uh, you know, new, newcomers to the A-League wouldn't realise is that, uh, that Andrew, of course, started his career in the National Soccer League at, uh, at Sydney Olympic. And uh, you won a championship at Newcastle. And not only did you win a championship at Newcastle, you awarded the uh, Joe Marsden Medal for uh, the best player in the grand final. Talk us through uh, your, your time at the Jets. It, uh, obviously, a long time between drinks for Newcastle. We speak about their resurgence this year, but uh, it's, it's been a long time since uh, they've played finals football. Yeah, I've, you know, fantastic um, time in my career. Uh, signed in 
your inaugural season, 2005, signed a three-year deal. Um, broke my leg in the pre-season cup against Central Coast. Um, so that ruled me out of the entire first season, which was really difficult to take. It was the first time I'd moved away from home as well. Uh, so living on my own uh, up in Newcastle and, and dealing with coming back from an injury was a, a difficult time for me, really difficult. Um, but yeah, came back strong in, in the second year, 2006. Uh, the team made it all the way to the um, game just before the, the grand final. We lost to Adelaide on, on penalties, and then that's the famous game where Adelaide went to the final and lost, um, I think it was 6-0 you know, in the final of the victory. So, um, yeah, it was a good good year, my first year in, in the A-League, and then obviously the second year um, was even better. Uh, we, we made the final, beat Central Coast in the final, and, uh, yeah, was was fortunate enough to get uh, man of the match in that in that game and um, yeah definitely to, to this day still a, a highlight of, of my career Yeah it was a, uh, quite ironic because I was in the stands with Ricky we, we had already signed you but no one had no, no knew that we uh, we had you and uh, you know when you won your, uh, the medal and you know, we turned to Ricky and we go oh, this, this player's okay he's not too bad and I remember <laughs> seeing you at the uh, Johnny Warren medal at that time they only had a lunch and we, we actually didn't speak because we didn't want anyone to know that we had uh, <laughs> we had signed you, signed you so that was uh, quite awkward as well but uh, no you came across um, and uh, we were actually thought we were going to get Bridgie instead of uh, instead of yourself but uh, in the end Bridgie decided to uh, I think he went to Sydney and um, and you, you you came across and uh, you haven't looked back and now you've got uh, a family. You got uh, three girls, little girls, and yeah. um, you've made your life in, uh, in in Wellington. So, you know, how's uh, how's that gone over the last ten years? Yeah, obviously the decision to move over originally was a, a really big decision. Um, you know, after being so successful with with the Jets, um, you know, to to leave that and, and go to the team that was struggling. Um, was a big decision. I had lots of conversations with yourself, with Ricky Herbert uh, at the time, and you know I just felt that it was a place that was really ambitious. Um, I thought the attack side of the of the game, you know, Wellington were actually really good that season and had some really good players. And you know, you guys were signing John McCain for the next season, Leo Burdos, and I just thought it was a really good opportunity for me to um, you know to really test myself and, and see if I could go to another team and, and try to create success. Um, so yeah, I, you know, my girlfriend at the time is now my wife. Um, was really supportive. She said, "Yeah, let's do it." I signed a two-year deal and thought after that two years I'd, you know, come back to Oz. But yeah, ten years later, I'm, I'm still here, three girls, um, and and now a Kiwi international as well. So you know, I, I never expected any of this, um, you know, coming over here. But you know, it's it's given me a really great life over here. The club's been amazing towards me um you know come contract time or whenever it's been of it's been quite smooth transitions and, and dealings with the club so um and obviously being the captain here i feel i've got a, a real sense of responsibility to you know seeing out my contract and seeing out my time here and, and trying to leave the club in a in a better place as to, to when i came here before we talk about uh, the phoenix in more detail you touched on your international career is it true that uh, pin verbake uh, signed uh, or called you up uh, uh, to a Socceroos squad ahead of uh, Asian qualifiers uh, in 2011. Is that right? Yeah, I made a... Um, with the Jets, I made a... a, a, all, a sorry, what? A Socceroos squad under uh, PIM. Um, didn't get selected in the final cut. But then, um, yeah, when I was over at Wellington, I think it was 
my second or third season at the club and yeah, it was having a strong season and, and Pim picked me to come over. It was the um, Asian um, Cup game qualifier against Indonesia at Suncorp Stadium and um, yeah, it was so selected in that. It was on the bench, sat the, the whole um, game on the bench. I remember at halftime, uh, the trainer said to me, warm up, because Milligan was really struggling with a with an injury at, uh, in the first half and he so basically said warm up so I warmed up the entire second half waiting for Milligan to, <laughs> to blow his hammy out but uh, he stayed on the whole game and yeah never got my opportunity to to, to go on the field and represent the Socceroos so um, yeah I mean then after doing four years at, at the Phoenix um, Ricky Herbert who was both club coach and national coach said look if you haven't um, played for the Socceroos in, in, in the next year then would you come over and um, play for us? We'd love to have you. And so, yeah, it just kind of happened that, um, you know, the whole came in and I never got selected in the next um, camp. So I um, yeah, decided that I'd change allegiances and, and play for the Kiwis because I always wanted to play international football. I really wanted to test myself and, and play against some of the best players and yeah, ended up playing 24 games for the national team. Uh, two World Cup qualifiers against Mexico and Peru and uh, Confederations Cup as well uh, last June. So, yeah, extremely grateful and, and honoured to, to represent New Zealand and be able to play international football. How was it playing against Ronaldo in the uh, Confeds Cup last uh, last year? Yeah, I mean, yeah, stuff that's what uh, dreams are made of, really, to play against arguably the, the world's best player on, on a big occasion was was amazing to be honest I've never been starstruck of anyone but standing right next to him in the tunnel when I first saw him I, I must admit I was a little bit but did you ask game. for a selfie <laughs> no no <laughs> I didn't ask for a selfie I don't know a lot of boys were chasing his jersey after the game but um he came off at about 80th minute or something and went straight in he got drug tested so no one actually swapped jerseys with him Tom Doyle sat in the drug room with him and had a good chat with him which was really special for him he had a photo with him but um he didn't swap jerseys so yeah, incredible experience for you know some guys playing in the A-League to be able to come up against um, someone like Ronaldo was, was awesome. You, you announced your retirement from uh, from international football after that uh, playoff loss to Peru. Tell us a bit about Peru. Of course, uh, the Socceroos uh, will be uh, up against them at the World Cup. And uh, you, uh, well, you held them to a draw in the first day, didn't you? And, uh, and then they got the better of you uh, away from home. Yeah, I think looking back on it, we needed our full strength team for the for the full ninety minutes. Um, you know, for us to be any chance, we had our main striker Chris Wood out. Um, you know, he was he was injured with a hamstring issue, but when he did come on late in games, you could see the impact and uh, he had on the game and how much the the Peru defence were really struggling to contain him. He was a big target man. He was holding everything up. He, he brought the midfielders into the game more and. You know, we played quite a direct style uh, with the all-whites and, and the crosses as well. He was a real nuisance uh, in that. And, and we had to bring him on again in the, in the second game. But I feel if, I really feel if we had him for the 90 minutes for, for both games, um, we would have definitely had more of a chance to, to beat them. They were definitely beatable. Um, Neil Law at, at home at Westpac Stadium was, was a really strong performance by us. Um, but yeah, over over there was always going to be a, a difficult task without our full strength team. And um, Tommy Smith, one of the centre backs, was out for the second game as well. So, look, I think the Socceroos have been asked a few times by by other journalists. Um, oh, I think you look at their group there. Peru are definitely the targets for them that they can they can roll them. I don't think they like the aggressive um, style that that we kind of took to them 
I think if you press them high, they, they were quite vulnerable uh, at the back. They, they tried to play a passing game, but weren't always um, effective doing it. So, you know, I think the soccerers have a really good chance of, of turning through over. Yeah, it's a, it's a really uh, open World Cup uh, and uh, Peru, when, when they, their name was drawn out, uh, I suppose we reflected on uh, the New Zealand's performance against them and uh, we thought that uh, this could be a really good opportunity. If you, if you were to target a, a couple of players that, uh, that you noticed over the two legs, uh, who should the Socceroos be uh, most wary of? Yeah, the, one of the key players who I believe now has, has been um, cleared of, of his drug charge, the main striker, Guerrero. He was out against us, and all the videos, uh, highlights we saw were everything goes direct to him. He was he was a superb player, uh, all the footage we saw. So when we heard he was out, um, it obviously made our, our job a little bit easier, but I believe he's been cleared to play um, for the World Cup. So he's definitely one that they'll need to watch. Um, Jefferson Farfan, um, very good at, at the top. Um, I think he plays in Russia at the moment but um, you know decorated career very good player and they have a midfielder a number 10 Cuevo who was um, excellent as well really everything went through him um, and, and he was a really creative player and he was actually the guy we targeted to try and stop more than any of the other players because everything uh, went through this guy some great insights, uh, Andrew, and uh, I'm sure uh, we'll uh, we'll listen back to this closer to the tournament and uh, the Socceroos. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, taking them on. Now, let's talk about the Wellington Phoenix in a little bit more detail. John Cosmina came out during the week, and I'm not sure if you saw his comments, but uh, said that he thought it was time that the Knicks uh, were out of the competition, and uh, he didn't think they were adding enough, and uh, and thought that uh, a spot should be uh, handed to an Australian team rather than uh, a team from New Zealand. Uh, love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I haven't read the whole article, but someone did mention it to me today that, um, you know, there's another case of um, kick the Knicks out uh, agenda. But, yeah, look, I think... I do honestly believe that, that we bring something different to the league. Um, yes, we're not an Australian team, and, um, you know, I get that, but we, we do host a, a hell of a lot of Aussie players through our 10 years here. We've, we've had a lot of Australian players that have come through here, kick-started their careers, um, and, and gone on to do really good things. Nathan Burns comes to mind when he was struggling in Europe. Um, he came here and and uh, had a, had a, a hell of a season. Uh, won the Johnny Warren and, and got back into the Socceroos. And you know, there's other players that have come through here um, that we've helped, you know, continue their careers. So, look, I, I can understand obviously where where the outsiders, where the where the ones who are different. Um, but look, I think we're trying to grow the league. I don't think kicking us out. Um, Honestly, in my opinion, is the answer. Uh, do we need to improve 100%? Or do we need to improve in lots of areas? For sure. Um, you know, I'm coming towards the end of my career and, you know, I'm, I'm in talks at the moment with the club about staying on in a position where I feel I can help the club and, and grow the club. And, I, and in my heart, I, I really believe that this club can, can actually be a really successful club. Um, you know, we're not just a one city um, team where we're a one country team and, and we should be tapping into that and we should almost be a powerhouse in this league that um, you know we have you know, 4.5 million people living here and football is the number one sport in this uh, country at junior level as well so look I think there's a lot to be fixed and yes we, we deserve a lot of the criticism we, we cop at times but you know I think if things can change and I believe they can change here um, that, that we do deserve our spot and I think other teams around Australia deserve their spot as well. Um, but uh, I think we're at the stage where we really need to be growing this league. It's become 
maybe a little bit stale um, with the same teams for so long. Um, so, you know, adding us, keeping us in and adding some other teams, I think is, is definitely the right answer. But, yeah, there's no doubt that we need to um, pull our finger out in different departments and, uh, you know, continue to, to grow ourselves. One of the things that uh, I really like uh, that you've done over the last few years is take games to different areas of, of New Zealand and playing in, in smaller boutique stadiums. Uh, Westpac Stadium is obviously your home. Is, is that something that you think the club needs to look at uh, doing more broadly next year? Yeah, for, for the future of this football club, absolutely. Um, you know, we love the fans, the, the uh, Yellow Fever fans and the supporters that come out and, and turn out in you know numbers all the time to support us at Westpac. But I think for the survival of the football club, we really need to be taking the more games away. And I know the Yellow Fever will probably be hating me saying this, but, you know, we have to. Um, you know, I think when, whenever we've travelled, uh, apart from probably last season, we've always got really strong numbers. Um, it becomes more of a novelty for, for Auckland and Christchurch and Dunedin when we do come there. So the, the crowd numbers do tend to go a lot higher. Um, but, yeah, we need to broaden our brand and, and, and get more supporters and uh, and grow it. So, yeah, that's definitely one avenue that we need to look at um, in, in helping grow in helping grow the Phoenix. Those, those three other centres you mentioned, obviously that would be a huge appetite if, if you were to play one or even two games there a season. Westpac Stadium, it's a big stadium and it's a debate we have here as well with uh, other clubs like Brisbane at, at Suncorp. Is, is that the right long-term solution for, for Wellington? Are there other options uh, for the club to play at in that city? Yeah, look, I agree. It's too big. It's way too big. Um, you know, if you look at the model, and I've done some, you know, quite a bit of research into the MLS and in the States and how they were kind of where we were at 10 years ago, um, you know, struggling in big NFL stadiums and crowds and atmospheres were, were down a lot. And, and then they almost made it, I'm not sure if they made it com- entirely compulsory, but they've made it um, one of the prerequisites if you want a franchise that you have to have a football-specific stadium or a rectangular stadium. And, and they've gone from franchises 10 years ago being worth a million to, to, if you want to buy one now, to $150 million and, and they target that the smaller boutique stadiums creating a lot more atmosphere um, for the fans is, is one of the main reasons why they've been able to um, you know, increase sponsorships and commercial rights and, and everything like that. So definitely... A few years ago, we, we went to a, a rectangular stadium out at um, uh, Lower Hutt, um, and that was that was because the cricket was on it, and uh, World Cup cricket was on around Wellington and, and the country, so we couldn't get a stadium, and and it was awesome. We we got I think twelve or fifteen thousand there, really close to the ground, and we played three games there. And you know, if you ask any of the fans um, what they thought of it, you know, they they thought it was magic and. I don't know what the plans are, if, if the owners or if the council are willing to create a boutique stadium for Wellington, but I think for the survival and for the growth of this club, that's definitely an avenue they need to take. No argument from me there. Um, I mean, I've got a close... I've put my hand up. I've got a close affinity with Wellington being there from the, uh, from the start back in June 2007 and right through the... Uh, the glory years, I suppose, early on when we um, made the uh, the playoffs and the preliminary final against Sydney and selling out the um, the semi final against uh, Newcastle, which went into extra time. Beckham coming over and and you know and, and taking the game to Christchurch where we had twenty thousand and beating uh, Adelaide there one nil. Um, so we, a lot of good times and FFA were loving Wellington Phoenix back in two thousand and uh, and ten when um, we sold out Westpac Stadium and they. Put a million bucks in their uh, their bank account, 
Um, so it, I know Terry at the time was uh, wasn't happy because they took all the revenue. But you know, we need clubs like Wellington. Now I know the you know as soon as things start going and and, and they're losing games, um, you know it's on the back of that kick out the uh, kick out Wellington. The metrics aren't great, but there's there's other clubs. I'm not going to mention them. There's other clubs here in the Australian A League. Yes, they're Australian clubs, but uh, as Andrew pointed out, a lot of Australian players have come through through Wellington. Um, at the time, we were, you know, uh, another uh, opportunity for uh, f- for professional players to play. So, um, but yes, they do need to lift. Yes, they do do need to show a little bit more, and they have to prove themselves a lot more than some of the Australian clubs. The whole idea is about growing and expanding the league, and um, you know I think uh, you know we we need the Phoenix. They're, they're the owners now. They're contributing. They're, they're paying all the bills. It's uh, it's it's you know FFA don't, doesn't have to worry about it. So we need to grow to 12, 14. Um, but uh, you know I think I think Andrew really boils down to the on-field performance because a couple of weeks ago when you guys sort of uh, you know won a couple in a row, everyone was jumping. Oh, okay, it's uh, it's back on then. You put a performance, and it was a poor performance um, against uh, against Sydney, um, and and then sort of it all it all starts up again. So, I don't know how you address that because you're always going to be behind um, uh, the eight ball. And and I know in my time there, uh, to get respect uh, over in Australia was always uh, always difficult. Yeah, I think you address it just as Andrew mentioned. You you, you have to make some big decisions uh, on on stadium. And uh, and that will go a long way to to helping the perception and uh, yeah, uh, on I the field it will the come from there. Yeah. The potential of the football club is there, and like you said, Tony, the the days where we could fill a, a, a um, semi final with thirty thousand and and, this, and the you know the the atmosphere around the city and and the country was just was huge. So you know, I, I wouldn't stay here and waste my time if I didn't believe there was actually genuine potential for this place to be. Uh, a, a really strong A-League contender and, and pushing for championships. If, if I didn't believe it, I'd pack my bags and I'd finish my contract here and, and I'd head home. But I genuinely believe that this place has so much potential, potential, untapped potential. And we've we've lost a lot of fans because of performances on the field. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I know, speaking to so many people here, that you know they they really want the club to be successful. They really want to get behind it and, and back it. And yeah, some things have to change. That's things that will will stay inside board meetings and, and that to discuss but um, you know that Rob's fully aware of them and uh, I speak to Rob Morrison quite often and you know he wants things changed he, he doesn't he's a successful businessman and uh, he doesn't want this uh, to be an unsuccessful uh, venture that he does he's, he's a very proud businessman around Wellington so look I, I do believe it's got potential we need to unlock it um, and do things a lot better but um, you know, I, I think we can do it So you're going to run around again next year Andrew? Uh, I haven't decided yet, but I'm, I'm close to making a decision soon. On get to 300. No, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm in talks at, at the moment to stay on at the football club. Um, just a matter of announcing something soon. So you'll be first to know, guys. We'll stay well, tuned. Not first, but <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll know. <laughs> and just before we let you go, you touched on Nathan Burns. Obviously, he's now back at the club, and uh, he's the last time he returned to the club, he was uh, very successful. Uh, obviously, his moves overseas haven't haven't worked well for him. He needs to play some some pretty consistent football between now and the end of the season uh, in order to attract the attention of the new 
Socceroos boss. What's his What's his mood like, and uh, and and do you think he's uh, got it in him to to make uh, the, this World Cup squad? Yeah, I hope so. Um, he's came back to to kickstart his career. He's kind of been lost a little bit over in Japan for the last few years, but um, he's come here with. A willingness. I mean, out of his own words, he came here because he wants game time and, and he wants to get back into the Socceroos. Um, that's his main focus. And he knew by coming here, he'd, he'd get that game time and he'd get looked after. Um, you know, in terms of minutes, um, in terms of his importance at the football club, and you know, he's a confidence player and he needs to be somewhere that he feels wanted and he feels like he can make a difference. And you know, he's got all the potential. And um, you know, since he's come here in, in January. I think his performances have, have been excellent. Um, even when the team struggled, I, I think his attitude has been extremely positive. He's one of those players that loves to get the ball at his feet and, and take people on, and, and he's, he can shoot left foot, right foot. And you know, he's definitely made a big impact in, in our resurgence in the start of um, you know this season uh, at the start of uh, 2018. So yeah, I really hope he can continue um, you know the form that he started off with and, and get himself in there because I know how hungry he is to be back in the Socceroos and, and for him to make a decision to come to the Phoenix because um, he wants to play the minutes and uh, it speaks a lot about him. Yeah, great player and uh, we wish him all the best uh, with the remainder of the season. We thank you so much for joining us and uh, being very generous with your time, Andrew, and congratulate you on what's been a wonderful career so far and uh, still plenty more to come. Thanks again for joining us on the Football Bosses. No worries. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Zappers. Andrew Durante, the captain of the Wellington Phoenix here on FNR. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pignata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to Football Bosses here on FNR. Michael Zapponi, Tony Pignata with you. And uh, we're now joined by the boss, we like to call her the boss, of women's football in Australia. Her name is Emma Highwood. Uh, Emma, I mean, we know that's your official title, but you're basically running the, the women's game, which is flying at the moment. Thanks for joining us. No, no problem. It's great to come and talk to you. And, uh, yeah, I'm probably working in uh, one of the good areas in the game at the moment. Um, Matilda's are flying and, uh, and the W's going really well as well. It is indeed. And uh, not only that, but uh, we heard news this week of uh, the federal government uh, announcing that it would uh, back a bid to host the Women's World Cup, uh, which is fantastic news. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing to get the continued support from government. And it's not just about the financial support, but we require support from government to actually secure venues, um, state government and federal support to be able to put in a genuine bid um, for 2023. So 2023 is, is the tournament date and uh, we're assured that it's not going to end up like our last World Cup bid. Uh, that things have been cleaned up since then, surely. Yeah, I mean, from an FFA perspective, we were pretty uh, diligent in terms of understanding that the process would be different. Uh, we've not received the criteria as such, but we've certainly been given the right assurances um, and we've been working closely with FIFA uh, over the last year around the women's game more broadly and particularly in terms of uh, we're seen as a leader internationally in this space. Matilda's are fourth in the world. We sold out the two Matilda's games uh, last year and Sam Kerr is you know, emerging as, a, as an international star in that space as well. So the timing's absolutely perfect and um, 
uh, yeah, we're just about to wait for the specific criteria uh, in that space as well. All of those ingredients you've just mentioned will help, uh, no doubt about that. Uh, do you have any indication of where your competition may come from? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're, we're pretty um, confident that uh, uh, Japan will be fitting to host the Women's World Cup. And obviously Japan have got a strong history in women's football, already won a Women's World Cup, reached the final uh, last year. Um, and obviously took on the US. So there'll be a very strong competition also in the AFC. Um, and uh, the other key area will be from South America. And uh, Colombia are also uh, interested to bid. And we've heard that the Kiwis might be bidding as well. Um, uh, but uh, And they did indicate they'd like to partner with us, but we want to make sure we have a, a fully Australian bid. So the um, 2019 is in, in France, correct? Um, yeah, that's right. And and the Matildas, when do they start their qualifying, um, I suppose, uh, for that uh, World Cup? Yeah, sure. So they're going over to Jordan in April, mm-hmm. um, and that'll be actually the Asian Cup, which doubles up as the qualification. Yep. So, um, you know, we'll, be, we'll certainly be going to Jordan looking to win that tournament, uh, which will be fantastic as well. They'll be going to the Algarve Cup in March, where they'll get a lot of good games against European opposition, which will be good preparation. Uh, and we're also working on... Um, Another home game is a farewell, which we can't quite announce yet, but we will be able to announce shortly uh, before they head out to Jordan as well. We've seen uh, the proliferation of, uh, of the women's game here in Australia over the last uh, few years, and uh, you, me- you mentioned Sam Kerr earlier. Talk to us about how you uh, help you know, build and promote the game uh, in Melbourne. We're in Melbourne here, which is uh, we're in a bit of a bubble. We uh, we can't escape the AFL, and, and the women's game here receives amazing coverage uh, front and back pages of uh, the, the small paper down here and uh, that is really difficult to uh, mm. to compete against what's your strategy for uh, competing against uh, the the other forces that are in the market yeah i mean I, the first thing i think i'd state is that i think competition in this space is absolutely fantastic for women's sport and i think it's made all sports focus quite specifically on the pathways they have in place the national competitions and also the participation Opportunities and our approach needs to be a whole of game approach. So we're not just focused on the WE, we're not just focused on the Matildas, and we're not just focused on the grassroots. We have to bring all those elements together. We have a really solid grassroots base with 250,000 girls playing, which we need to activate. We've got going into the temp season of WE. We like to link the Matildas through the WE. You see a lot of more promotion this season in particular of the Matildas playing the WE, and we're pretty. Uh, you know, in a different position to the A-League where we actually have our best female players showcased through the W-League, which is a fantastic asset, which we're trying to leverage. And certainly we've been able to do that this year with Sam. But, you know, Sam's definitely emerged, emerged as an amazing star, both male or female. Uh, but certainly for us, there's a, you know, Lisa Devana is uh, still a great star for the W-League, which we push. Uh, you've got the Steph Catleys in the, in the Melbourne area in particular as well. So a lot of good stars coming forward. Talk about the W League, the success of the W League this year. The crowds, uh, I don't know what the figures are, but uh, anecdotally I would have thought that the crowds have been up on, on, on every year uh, from what we've seen this year. And one of the things that's really impressed me is, uh, the, as you said, the amount of Matildas playing here, the amount of young girls who are yeah. at, at part of the young Matildas who are, who are playing regular football. It's, it's what we need in the A-League, as you said, but, but also the yeah. international talent that we're attracting here. It's something that we don't get in the, in the men's game as much uh, is that 
the, the high calibre of international players that are coming uh, to Australia. And because of the way the seasons work, uh, you can attract some of the best players in the world uh, uh, who, who are based uh, in the US or, or in other countries to, to play in our W League as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, the international talent that we've been able to... Jody Taylor, who's the striker for England, playing for, 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 you know, for Melbourne City, you know, one of the best strikers in the world, coming to the W League, and we're able to showcase that. And I think it's a really important point that the W League is seen on an international scale as a, as a high-quality league. Um, so that's why we're able to attract talent. The timings are great as well, which is, is, is particularly, you know, helpful, which kind of... Um, we've designed the timing to fit around the US in particular because a lot of our children also play over in the US um, outside of the W League season. So definitely we're in a, a unique position that we can do that. And I think that we've got another kind of growth opportunity as well as we start to promote the W League internationally. What the Matildas are now doing helps us to really showcase women's football on an international stage. Um, the Matildas going over to the US, talking up the W League and then bringing players back, which has started to happen a lot more. Um, is fantastic but you know I'm a football person so I'm pretty biased but I reckon the quality of the product that we've got with the W League far outweighs any other women's product out there at the moment um, you look at this you know the, the attacking style that a lot of teams are playing you know Samka's uh, a hat-trick the other week was just phenomenal uh, he's now kind of breaking through the mainstream of Channel 7 uh, you know picking it up so certainly we're getting a lot more attention but the, for me one of the great benefits and something I'm pretty proud of, and I'm sure Tony is as well, because he was involved, is seeing the quality of football just increase so much, you know, from season one to what we see now. And, and all those young players that are really getting that opportunity to play against some of the, you know, the best players in Australia and, and, and in the world as well. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it, just the standard has increased um, enormously over the last few years. And it's great that... The, the clubs have t- now taken on board the uh, the W League teams and and, in, and brought them in as, as as one club philosophy. I know that mm. at Sydney it, we we did and Wanderers were were, were doing that and, and now Melbourne yeah, Victory right. has taken it and Melbourne City have lifted the bar. So other teams have had to actually um, increase uh, what they do and uh, you know just look at you know in the early days you know you've got to think of these they're, they're sort of professional players and they're they're sort of having to fly into to, to Adelaide, for example, play the game. So they fly in the morning, play the game, and then fly back. Mm-hmm. Now they can go the night before, night play before, the game. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 a lot more professionalism. You know, there's a lot more, um, you know, sort of in, in terms of high performance and coaching, and and then the product is at the end of the Emma. It's at the Matildas. Look look where they're ranked in the world now because of uh, the players playing and and being uh, you know able to have all that uh, infrastructure behind them. So it's just fantastic. Yeah, and I think that you can look back to us starting the, te- the W League 10 years ago and you can actually track that through to where the Matildas are now. A lot of those you know, players like Sam Kerr and Ford really came through the W League. So it just demonstrates that having a national league is, is really important to the pathway. And I know that we have the same debate you know, with the A-League, but we've, we've got to stay focused on, on developing our leagues because it is a critical part of the pathway. We're speaking to uh, Emma Highwood, uh, the head of uh, women's football at Football Federation uh, Victoria, Australia. Australia here. On oh, sorry, there you go, my Melbourne bias coming through. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. 
Football Federation Australia, of course, uh, here on the Football Bosses. Now, Emma, talk to us uh, about, uh, I touched on the uh, W League audiences and uh, the TV exposure as well. Um, I have a vested interest in this, of course, but with my role at Fox Sports, but I know that this year we've increased uh, the number of games broadcast and it's also been broadcast on free-to-air uh, as well with uh, SBS coming in. Uh, are you looking to extend that even further next season? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I'd, firstly I'd like to just kind of mention that Fox have been a fantastic supporter of, of women's football and, and going, you know, almost doubling the number of games that we broadcast this year uh, up 27 has been it's been fantastic. And our goal is to get to every game broadcast and certainly we'll be exploring options next year, particularly around looking around the streaming options that, that are available. Um, but when it gets to this kind of period, you know, leading up to the finals, um, you know, when we're broadcasting one game a week, it's not always necessarily the game that p- the fans want to watch. Uh, so we do need to progress to a period where we've got more more um, more games available through broadcast, and, and we'll certainly be talking to Fox and and obviously SBS have come on board as a broadcaster partner as well. But broadcast is really important to us, as it is in the men's, you know, as in the A League as well. Um, it's about eyeballs. It's about enabling us to to really grow the reach of the W League, which in turn helps us to bring more commercial revenue uh, into the W League. And we brought on Rebel this year as a supporting partner. So it plays a a critical um, uh, role within that space. So um, uh, it's really important that we continue to focus on that going forward. And you've got uh, the W League finals kicking off uh, this weekend. Sydney FC are taking on uh, Newcastle and and uh, Brisbane Raw up against Melbourne City. It's uh, some, some good teams involved. And tell us uh, about what you've got planned for the finals. Yeah, sure. So we've got um, the first semi will be taking place at Leichhardt. Sydney are hosting, and and that will be against uh, Newcastle, which will be a great game. I think Sydney are really starting to to hit their strides. Um, you know, with Ante Zurich taking over as the coach, I stay watching them over the weekends, and they've got a lot of quality players. Uh, you know, a lot of you know attacking ability with Lisa Devano and, and Legazzo, and, and Newcastle this year with Emily Van Egmond coming back. You know, she's really kind of made a massive um, uh, impact in Newcastle as well. So I think that'll be a great first uh, semi. And then on the Sunday, we've got Brisbane Raw versus um, uh, Melbourne City. Brisbane are hosting. Uh, the semi-final. It's going to be a really interesting game. Uh, City, uh, you know, looking very good. Um, they're starting to uh, strike some form, but also Brisbane have been absolutely fantastic all year and, you know, won the Premier's plate. So I'm really excited for the finals series. I think we're going to see two great games and um, it's really difficult to even, you know, pick at this stage uh, which, which direction is going to go. I mean, I think this season has probably been the most competitive. Um, most of our teams because of the, the things that we've been working on with the clubs and the PFA around paying conditions, you know, I've been able to get better preparation uh, into the W League, which means the teams have turned up from round one better conditioned. And I think that you've seen, you know, a massive impact and the competition within the league is um, is really fantastic. But uh, I think in particular, Brisbane have uh, been consistent, you know, all year round and uh, as a result, won the Premier's player hosting that final, semi-final on Sunday. Melbourne City have had an amazing record uh, in the history of this competition and uh, you just get the sense that uh, this is going to be a bit tougher than that Brisbane uh, you know, would anticipate given given what Melbourne City have done in previous seasons. They'll fancy themselves uh, based on, on that record. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong, Emma, but uh, I think Brisbane owes Melbourne City from a couple of years ago when they won. Melbourne City won in a penalty shootout. I was at that game. And I remember Brisbane hit the yeah, crossbar. Right, yeah. Brisbane hit the crossbar in uh, in extra time too, if memory serves yeah. me correctly. And they and had then, lost a game, and yeah, they were yeah. 
we were hoping they were going to get knocked out because I think we ended up playing <laughs> him in the grand final. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was one of the. Um, Great W League games. At, and what are, uh, what are your plans for the grand final? It obviously depends on who's hosting, but uh, do you have venues uh, uh, penciled in? Um, well, it really, obviously, it depends on this stage, but, you know, where we're looking at the best venues going to showcase um, the W League. We will be ambitious to get a good crowd with what we've seen this year, so we'll be considering that um, as well. And one of the things that's really important is it is the W League grand final, so we want to showcase the final, you know, in the best stadium available as well, and that's some of the choices we've made over the last couple of years is, is um, not to play all the games in what I call suburban grounds, but make sure the females, you know, get in the opportunity to play in, in quality venues, um, you know, equal to, to what we offer, you know, in the A-League as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be great. Melbourne City, uh, you know, I've had a great track record. Really like to call out Mel Andret and Mel Andrietta. I think she's had a fantastic season, as, you know, in, a, in her coaching role and has really organised Brisbane, you know, pretty well. So... I think both games are going to be, you know, really exciting. And uh, I can't really pick, as I said at this stage, <laughs> you know, where we're going to be hosting the final, which is a bit tricky from a logistical perspective, but I think also, you know, shows the competitiveness in, in the W League this year, which is fantastic. Emma, fantastic. Well done on all your great work in, in uh, building the women's game uh, here. And we thank you for joining us on the Football Bosses. No problem. Uh, happy to come and chat anytime. Emma Highwood joining us there on the Football Bosses. Uh, she is the head of women's football at Football Federation Australia. We'll be back to wrap things up here right after this short break. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pignata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to Football Bosses here on FNR. Michael Zapponi and Tony Pignata. What a show it's been, Tony. Thanks to uh, all of our guests. Now, I'm just hearing a few little murmurs out there. We know that uh, there's been a lot of talk about the FFA and FIFA and the governance. We've covered it extensively on this program. I'm hearing whispers that things are about to change. Things are afoot. Conversations are getting very deep and very meaningful and they're getting close to a resolution between the clubs and the FFA. So stay tuned. I reckon in the next week we're going to have some big news about the future of the structure of the Hyundai A-League and expansion. That's my tip. And let's replay this segment next week and see how close I am to the mark. Well, um, listen, uh, AFC and FIFA coming in for... a some meetings in um, yeah they'll couple, be in next week they'll think, be here soon after and I think the resolution uh, is uh, aimed at uh, occurring before they they hit well, town that'll be good so in 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 view of that next week we're going to have a, a conversation about um, expansion and we're going to have a chat to one of the people who is in charge of the expansion bid in Tasmania. His name is Robert Beltecki. He's agreed to come on the show next week. So let's uh, find out a little bit more on that next week from Robert. But Tasmania, for me, if you look at their bid and what they're doing, I'm supporting it. I think they should have a team in the A-League when it, when it goes to 12. You disagree, don't you? I, I, I think that I think they should be. I, we Look, we need to expand to 12 to 14. Whether they're at that point now or, or later, um, I, I don't know. I think uh, I think the powers of be at um, sort of College Street, or well, they're not in College Street, Oxford, Oxford Street now, one Oxford Street, um, might have other ideas. But um, 
I'm all for expansion and we need to make sure it's in by 1920. All right. Well, uh, in the next few days, we'll find out a little bit more about that. But uh, expansion will be certainly on the agenda uh, on our program next week. Thanks uh, to everyone who tuned in for this week's show. Tony, thank you again for coming in. And we look forward to doing it again next week. From me, Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata. it's goodbye from the Football Bosses. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio.